Will you pray with me? O God of resurrected life, stir in our hearts a recognition of your love. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So before I was a pastor, I was a healthcare chaplain, an interfaith minister who serves in a healthcare setting. So think a pastor who's not in a church. I had served in two different hospitals, and for the two and a half years before I began my work as a pastor, I worked in the hospice setting, caring for folks and their families who were expected to live no more than six months. During that time, I visited folks who went on hospice in various settings, whether that be in their family home, a nursing home, or assisted living facility, or in the hospital when it wasn't feasible for them to return to the place that they called home safely. So these folks passed pretty quickly. They got into hospice services um, in the last couple days or hours of their life. During my time working with hospice, I met a lot of people who lived with some form of dementia, whose disease made it difficult and sometimes nearly impossible to have any meaningful conversation with. Some were nonverbal, and some were confused all of the time, even combative at times. I could tell you some very interesting stories uh, at another time about that. And this made my visits really challenging at times, especially in situations when people lived in nursing homes, away from their loved ones, who could actually tell me about the person, especially before the disease took, in, took over, and what was important to them. However, some of my time with these patients were some of the most holy, sacred moments of ministry that I've ever experienced, even to this day. One such moment, or series of moments, was with a woman in her 90s, who I will call Catherine. She had a massive stroke in her 70s, which made her completely nonverbal. My first interaction with Catherine took place in her room at a nursing home. Before I visited her, as I typically would, I tried calling her family, you know, get some family history, find out who is important to her, um, kind of her religious background, what, what gave her life meaning. But I was unable to connect with her family. I talked to staff at the nursing home um, and learned that after the stroke, Catherine was no longer able to speak. So when I visited with her, she wasn't going to be able to speak with me. She was also very physically limited and could usually be found laying in her bed or sitting in a wheelchair in the cafeteria or in the hallway. When I eventually made contact with Catherine's son, he told me that after her stroke, she actually still had some pretty good years where she could communicate even if it was non-verbally. She remembered faces, had recognition, um, and would beam when she saw her grandchildren or her children. But because of the dementia that came later, it had been several years since she recognized anyone in her family, even him, her own son. He shared how painful that was, that he felt like he had lost her long, long ago. 
and that he tried to come see her when he could, but the staff shared that that really was not that often. I could sense that it was just too hard. And if you've known anybody with dementia, you can certainly appreciate that tension. So when I walked into Catherine's room, I recognized pretty quickly that she was Roman Catholic. There was a picture of the Pope on her nightstand with a rosary close by, and there was a Bible on her dresser. So for the first couple of visits, I would read from the Bible to her, mostly from the Psalms. I would read my favorites, like Psalm 139, um, you know, uh, Psalm 121. These things that talked about God's love for us and, and God's capacity to take care of us, especially in times of trouble. I would close our time together with the prayer for Catherine. And then I would pray the Lord's Prayer with her, the, the Catholic version, where they don't include the last um, couple of lines that Protestants typically do. She seemed interested, but didn't really communicate anything else. She, she had this thing where she would just point at me, and she would touch my nose, um, and she would touch my, my arms, but she didn't, I don't know that it was intentional. I think it was just uh, stimulation, right? Like there was something, and she wanted to touch it and feel it. Um, and so that was how a lot of our visits went for a while. But one day when I visited, I decided that I would try to sing a couple of songs to Catherine, familiar hymns that folks, um, of her generation might recognize. I began singing the first verse of Jesus loves me. And all of a sudden she began humming along note for note. So like she wasn't just making noise, something was registering in her. And she hummed the song note for note. Theo, can you please go sit down? Thank you. Then I sang Amazing Grace. And again, within the first like three or four notes, she began humming along. Note for note. It was incredible. I've never seen anything like that happen. This woman who couldn't speak a word and who could tell no difference between the face of her own son and the staff at a nursing home paid, paid to care for her in her last days could suddenly hum along note for note to some old hymn she must have learned, have, have sung for decades, maybe even from her childhood. It actually brought me to tears the first time it happened. And I prayed my own prayer internally, a prayer of gratitude for God meeting her. In that moment of sacred memory, connection to God through a repetition of the familiar. It was also in those moments that I began to have a much deeper appreciation for the seemingly mundane uh, church activities we do, like memorizing scripture, like learning the creeds, if you come from a creedal tradition like the Apostles' Creed, or even the Lord's Prayer, through singing old hymns and those becoming part of who we are. A lot of us can sing Jesus Loves Me without even having a paper in front of us, right? Because we've We've known that for a long, long time. Because hiding those things away in our hearts, 
allows us to access those touch points during times of our lives when everything else around us seems to be on shaky ground. And maybe even completely unrecognizable, providing comfort, peace, and connection to God when you feel really alone. What a grace. Sacred memory. That's what finally stirs up recognition of Jesus in our resurrection story today. Max, this is one of my absolutely favorite scriptures, as I can, could hear, and you as well. Because that simple, incredibly common practice of breaking bread together with their teacher and their friend, that's what opened their eyes to seeing their beloved teacher. We celebrate Easter Sunday every year in beautiful and creative ways. It's typically a really big celebration, right? We had a beautiful experience at the park this year, gathered in God's natural cathedral. And it's often such a joyous experience, and I love that. But we celebrate the Easter season or Eastertide, which is a seven-week period of time. So Easter is like the big celebration and then the after effects for like seven weeks. It's even a week longer than we spend in Lent because the resurrection of Jesus and his time on earth with his disciples after he was resurrected lasted for 40 days. And it's a messy time. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that the initial responses to Jesus' resurrection by those closest to him were anxiety-filled rather than joy-filled. And I love that. I spent a lot of my days in the anxiety-filled. There was confusion, fear, and disbelief. Grief had made it impossible for those closest to Jesus to recognize him right in their midst. But there are also those moments of clarity that remind us that God draws near to us even when we can't recognize God's presence. On Easter, Mary Magdalene, one of his closest friends, runs to the tomb and finds it empty. Jesus eventually actually appears to her in human form, but she doesn't recognize him. Could you imagine not recognizing one of your best friends? just days after you last saw them. She thinks he's the gardener. But then he says her name. He looks her in the eye and says, Mary. And suddenly he is unmistakable. Last week, we read about Thomas, one of those very same disciples, who was missing the time Jesus appeared to the others, which I think is really unfair, but that's my own, my own thing. It wasn't until eight days later, eight days that, you know, his friends had seen Jesus. Why would he believe that this was real if he couldn't actually see it himself? He needed to see Jesus for himself to believe. And once Jesus appeared to him and even invited Thomas to touch his side, 
to see his hands and his feet. Just the invitation, and he was good. He was all in, right back into relationship with his teacher. Today, we meet two disciples deep in grief in the afternoon of Easter Day. So this wasn't like weeks later. This was like the night that Mary, the night of the day that Mary had actually been face-to-face with Jesus. The gospel stories kind of tell resurrection a little differently, and so they pick up on different, um, different themes, different details. So in the afternoon... Cleopas and and the other unnamed disciple had given up hope and headed home. Seven miles from Jerusalem. So think about how long it takes to walk seven miles. It's not a short walk. Because Jerusalem is where all of the horrible events had happened. It's where he was buried. It was where where the, the miraculous was supposed to happen. But they were like, you know what? We're going home. But Jesus appeared to them. So they're heading back to, to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus suddenly appears on the road with them, a stranger. They didn't recognize him. Notice this this is just, it's so strange to me that you wouldn't recognize somebody you've loved, somebody you've committed your life to. But once again, they don't recognize him. They walk a while with a stranger and they vulnerably end up sharing about their grief. Not only of the loss of someone they loved, though, but the loss of hope for the very redemption of their people. As commentator Cynthia Jarvis writes, they were two sorry disciples who have bet their lives on the wrong savior. That's crushing. That's like what they had devoted their whole life to. This wasn't just some guy in the neighborhood. This was someone who had transformed their life. So this stranger then spends the rest of the journey basically doing a Bible study with them. When they arrive at their hometown, again, seven miles, right? Jesus began to set out on his own. We've finished the journey. I will keep going. But the two disciples practice the act of hospitality, and they invite him to stay with them. So as they sit around a table with Jesus, preparing to share a a meal This familiar, simple practice of breaking bread, suddenly the memories flood back and they recognize Jesus. Now, like resurrection tricks, he disappears right away. But all they needed was that recognition, right? It's true. Holy cow. He's come back from the dead. So they immediately get up Their faith renewed, and they travel the seven miles back to Jerusalem to report this. Very, very active day for these two guys. Sacred memory. That is what makes Jesus recognizable. 
doing the thing we've done over and over again, maybe even to the point of monotony. And that becoming the touch point for shaking us out of our temporary memory loss. That's what helped the disciples to see Jesus right in front of them, even as their hearts were burning within them. He met them where they were. He walked with them. He even taught them. But it wasn't until he broke the bread provided by his gracious hosts, blessed it, and gave it to them that they could even see him. Just like my friend Catherine in the nursing home, connected to God through the songs of her heart, those things that she had remembered, the things that she had sung that probably reminded her of her childhood, that probably reminded her of her deep faith. These disciples connected through the experience of their hearts, and that was enough to jolt them back to themselves. Communion table is one of the places we meet Jesus. Where we are able to recognize the love of God in something tangible. Simple items that we hold in our hands and physically take into our bodies. We chose the name Open Table United Church of Christ. As the name of our church because of the communion table. A sacred touch point for us, reminding us that no matter what we've done, no matter how lost we feel we have gotten, no matter how worthy we may deem ourselves, we are loved, 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 and invited to dine with Jesus and with each other. And that invitation isn't just for us, it's for all of us. For those of us who are here, for those who are yet to join, and those who may never join, the invitation is always extended. We do this every single week because isn't that the crux of the matter? Isn't that what is most important? That no matter what is happening around us and in us, Jesus is still at the center inviting us and inviting us and inviting us, drawing our eyes to himself as evidenced in the bread and the fruit of the vine. I love this story. <laughs> I love this sense of recognition, this love that was shared and experienced in real bodies. I'm very thankful for the season of Eastertide because it isn't ever straightforward. It isn't without moments of hesitation or feelings of defeat hopelessness and fear. It is a season of resurrection, faith and belief. But each person needed to meet Jesus to be reassured in their own way. And isn't that just incredibly relatable? I often find myself, myself needing a reminder when I have lost my way. And the table serves as a reminder of that for me. But I know that there are so many reminders that we could point to. And so for just a couple of moments, I, I invite you to think, what are those touch points for you? When you feel lost, when you feel like you can't see God because the world 
is the world. What helps you to recognize Jesus in those moments? This is an actual question, by the way. Like, you can shout out the answers if you think of something. Animals. Animals. Yep. Nature. Nature. Absolutely. Memories of love. Children. Looking up. Good friend. Absolutely. Thanks, bud. Thanks, buddy. Anything else? 23rd Psalm, yes. I like to listen to that one and not have my eyes open for it because it stirs the imagination in such a different way. Anything else, anything else bring you next to Jesus? Our gathering on Sundays, that's why we do it weekly, right? To remind us. Music. Yes. Hearing the world wake up in the morning. I have been getting up early recently and hearing the birds. And I just, this is, this is the created world. Like this, yeah, agreed. A candle, yeah. I know. I've really been waking up at like 6 a.m. Very tired. Um, the beauty of spring. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not one of these things are what works for everyone. But there's always something. There's always an invitation. May you always know that God desires to be recognized by you and is loving enough to meet us exactly where we are, especially in those moments when we feel that we have lost our bearings, when we feel like we've lost our way, when things just seem so full of difficulty and challenge and pain. Let us ask God to continue revealing Jesus to us today and in the days to come. Let us pray.